Keep your Bibles open to that passage. Luke 8, 1 through 15 will be our text this morning. And the title for the sermon is taken from verse 10. The mysteries of the kingdom of God. The mysteries of the kingdom of God. Have you ever wished that you could hear Jesus preach? Read the Gospels. What an incredible blessing it is to have the words of Christ here as He was preaching during His earthly ministry. And in this text in particular, we have an example where Jesus gave a parable to His disciples, and then He went back and explained that parable piece by piece and gave the meaning of it. In this text, Jesus taught His disciples and us by extension some of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Before we begin... Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have this morning to sit with your word open before us. What a privilege. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful. Lord, may we carefully consider what Jesus taught in this parable. May we dwell upon it. May we not be forgetful hearers. May we do as you've commanded. Help us, Lord, we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage begins by giving us some details about the ministry of Jesus. First, we learn what Jesus himself was doing at this time. And verse 1 tells us where Jesus went. He went throughout every city and village. Now, this is in reference to the area of Galilee where Jesus was ministering at this time. And we see that Jesus did not stay in one location. Jesus traveled around up in that region and visited these different population centers. And notice that Jesus ministered in towns and in villages, as well as in wilderness areas, as we have seen earlier on in Luke's Gospel. And from Jesus' example, we learn that the Gospel is not limited by location. In cities and towns and villages and out in the country, wherever there are people, there the Gospel is to be proclaimed. We don't need to go to a big city to share the gospel. We don't need to go way out in the country somewhere to share the gospel. Wherever God places us, to whomever is there, we are to preach the gospel. By the grace of God, may we be faithful with whatever opportunities God gives us to share the gospel. It is not limited by location. Now, verse 1 also tells us what Jesus did. He went preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Once again, we see that the major focus of Jesus' earthly ministry was the preaching of the kingdom of God. Did Jesus perform miracles? Yes. A great number of miracles. But they supported the message that He preached. They were not His primary ministry. Beware of those who claim to have a miracle-working ministry. Although in Scripture we see many mighty miracles, the focus is always on the message, the Word of God. Even the ministry of Jesus Himself was focused on preaching. And the message of Jesus is referred to there in verse 1 as glad tidings. Glad tidings. Good news. The word that's translated elsewhere in the New Testament as the gospel. The good news. There's a lot of news that we are bombarded with every day. Bad news. Frightening news. Concerning news. Fake news. Propaganda. We hear of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famine and troubles all over the world. But we have hope. We have confidence. We have assurance 
in the glad tidings of Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we be faithful in preaching this gospel to ourselves as we seek to walk worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. And then may we be faithful in proclaiming this gospel to others, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Jesus went throughout that region preaching, teaching the good news. Well, we've seen where Jesus went and what Jesus did. Next, we learn who was with Jesus. The end of verse 1 tells us, The twelve were with him. These were the twelve apostles who were selected back in chapter 6. And eventually the twelve would be sent out by themselves to preach, both during the ministry of Jesus and then, of course, after his ascension. But at this time, they were traveling with Jesus, learning from him. And verses 2 and 3 tell us that there were also women who were with Jesus at this point in his ministry. And three women in particular are named here. The first is Mary, called Magdalene. Now, Magdalene is probably a reference to the city where she was from. And the only other detail these verses give us about her is that she had been demon-possessed. Seven demons had come out of her. This was a lady who had experienced unimaginable oppression and then found freedom through Jesus Christ. What a beautiful testimony her life is to the power of Jesus Christ to set sinners free. Whatever your struggle, whatever your oppression, whatever your sin... There's freedom to be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. But then in verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Freedom, true freedom, is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the next lady named in this text is Joanna. We're told that she was the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward. Now, Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee, a very important man in the region politically. And Chuzza, as his steward, the manager of his business, of his estate, of his household, uh, he occupied a very important and influential position. And here is his wife, Joanna, who is a follower of Jesus. And the final lady named in this text is Susanna. Now, we don't know anything else about her, Uh, This is the only time that this name appears in the New Testament. It's possible that she was known by the first century church, and so when Luke wrote this, people might connect the name with somebody that they knew about. But all we know from this passage is that she was a follower of Jesus. After Susanna, verse 3 tells us that there were many others. Many others. Now this is important detail because it demonstrates that Jesus did not reject women or turn women away from his ministry. And this was unusual for the time. And in fact, in the Gospels, we see many examples where Jesus encouraged women and even children to be present for his teaching and his preaching. Why? Well, again, because the Gospel is not bound by gender or age or culture or location or time. It is an eternal message that is to be proclaimed to all people. And so it is that the gospel call goes out today, just as it did when Jesus preached to men and to women, to boys and to girls. Repent ye and believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Finally, we learn who was supporting Jesus. Jesus was a man, and as a human being, he had all the same physical needs that you and I have. He became hungry and had to eat. He got tired, had to rest. He
He needed clothing and money and other supplies necessary for traveling. And where did Jesus get these things? Well, verse 3 tells us, these ministered unto him out of their substance. Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. And there are times in the ministry of Jesus where we see physical needs being met by divine, miraculous power. We have several examples of that in the gospel. And certainly, every single need that Jesus and his followers had could have been met with divine, supernatural power. But that was not how God chose to work. Not all the physical needs of Jesus and his followers were met with divine power. In fact, the majority of his needs were met by the generosity of some of his followers, as we see in this text. And it seems that this was specifically done to draw men's attention off of the physical and on to the spiritual. Jesus addressed this in John chapter 6, verses 26 and 27. There is this crowd of eager followers who have uh, found Jesus after Jesus left during the night, and they find him again. And then Jesus says to them in John 6, verse 26, And 27, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Don't labor after the meat that perisheth, but of that which is eternal. Well, the first three verses of this text tell us about Jesus' ministry. And then in verses 4 through 15, we read the parable of the soils and its explanation. Verse 4 tells us that a large and diverse group heard this parable when Jesus first taught it. Verse 4, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake a parable. So here is this large and diverse, diverse group of people who are gathered together, And in verses 5 through 8, we read the parable itself. I'm going to read through those verses once again. Verses 5 through 8. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down. And the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And then at the end of verse 8, Jesus cried out, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now look at how the disciples responded to this parable in verse 9. And his disciples asked him, asked Jesus, saying, What might this parable be? What is the meaning of this? They had heard the parable, but they did not understand what Jesus was talking about. Now, we might think that parables were like illustrations to help the people grasp spiritual truth, but that was not the case for most people. For most people, the parables concealed the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And Jesus specifically teaches on that in verse 10. Even the disciples did not understand this parable at first. And notice that they did not wonder about it amongst themselves. But rather, they went to Jesus, and they asked Jesus, explain this to us. Jesus has the words of life. To whom else shall we go? When we are puzzled, when we are distressed, 
when we don't understand, may we follow the example of the disciples in this text and go humbly before the Lord and ask for understanding. Lord, help me to understand. Now look at how Jesus responded to the disciples' request in verse 10. The disciples had a desire to understand what Jesus taught, and to them it was given. Jesus said in verse 10, To you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus would go on to explain this parable to them. But before he did, Jesus told the disciples why he spoke in parables. To you it is given. But to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they may not understand. The spiritual blindness and hard-heartedness of man is seen in this response to Jesus' ministry. Man in his fallen nature is blind to the things of God. There were many in Jesus' day who saw Him with their physical eyes, who saw the miracles that He performed, but who gained no spiritual benefit from that experience. Though they saw Jesus, and though they saw the miracles that He worked, they had no discernment. They did not recognize Him as the Messiah, Seeing, they did not see. Man in his fallen nature is deaf to the things of God. And this text is an excellent example of that. Verse 4 tells us that a great multitude of people heard this parable, but it was not readily understood. Even the disciples did not understand what Jesus had taught. And it was only the disciples who came and asked Jesus for an explanation. The multitudes may have been amused by this parable, Maybe they enjoyed pondering over it and what Jesus might have meant by it. But without going to Jesus for an explanation, it did them no good. They heard what Jesus said, but they did not understand. Hearing, they heard not. Now in verse 11, Jesus began to explain the parable. And the first detail that Jesus explained was the seed. In verse 11, the seed is the word of God. Now think back to the parable. What did the sower go out to sow? The Word of God. The Word of God. This is what was sown by the prophets in the Old Testament. This is what John the Baptist had preached. This was the message of Jesus. The Word of God made manifest in the flesh. This is the gospel that has been entrusted to us. The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God is the seed. And the seed is to be sown. Are you a Christian? Has the Word of God taken root in your heart and in your life? Are you producing fruit to the glory of God? This is because someone shared the Word of God with you. Now may we be faithful to sow the Word of God in the hearts of others. And as we see in this parable, the seed of the gospel is to be sown without distinction. Preach the gospel to all men everywhere, and we trust God for the increase. Now, in verse 12, Jesus explained the soil by the wayside. This is a description of people who hear the word of God, but then the devil comes and takes it away. Look at what Jesus said in verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The devil... And his cohorts of fallen angels do all they can to stop people from benefiting from the Word of God. Man's depravity is not his only obstacle in salvation. All the forces of hell stand in opposition as well. 
And Satan's method is to take the Word of God away. To take it out of the hearts of those who hear. Why? Well, Jesus said at the end of verse 12, lest they should believe and be saved. You must believe to be saved. The Word of God is not a saving word unless it is received in faith. You must believe the Word of God, and the devil does not want that to happen. And so he seeks to take the Word of God out of the hearts of careless hearers. Now keep in mind, the devil believes the Word of God. James 2.19 says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devil has no interest in your belief. He does not want you to believe because he does not want you to be saved, to be redeemed, to rejoice in salvation while he believes and trembles in his damnation. There is no redemption possible for the devil. All that he can do is try to bring as many with him into damnation as he can. Take heed and hold the word of God. Let the devil come and take it away. In verse 13, Jesus explained the seed which fell upon the rock. Look at verse 13. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. This is, just, this is a description of people who gladly receive the Word of God. But there is no root. And so in times of temptation, they fall away. The Word of God is incredible. The Word of God is true. It is powerful. It is beautiful. And it can make an impression upon people that looks very much like saving faith. Someone may receive the Word of God gladly. They may even appear to continue on in godly paths for a time. But because there is no true root of faith, they will eventually be exposed. When temptation comes, they will fall away. Now sometimes temptation comes from the world's disapproval. In times of suffering and persecution, the visible church, those who outwardly profess to be Christians, has massively decreased. While at the same time, God continues to add to the invisible church, church, the true body of Christ. But in times of persecution, those who have no root will fall away. Sometimes temptation comes from the world's pleasures. The gospel calls upon us to die. To die to self. Die to the world. Die to the pleasures of sin. We're to take up our cross and follow Jesus. When temptation arises to leave the hard and narrow way, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, many fall away because the Word of God had never truly taken root in their hearts. They sprang up quickly, and just as quickly, in a moment of temptation, they fall away. In verse 14, Jesus explained the thorny soil. Look at verse 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. A description of people who hear the word of God, but that seed is choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. See the warning that Jesus gave in these verses. The devil may come and take the Word of God from your heart. Temptation may come and take the Word of God from your heart. 
the necessary, and sometimes even good things of this world may choke the Word of God in your heart. The Word of God may be choked with cares. All of us have cares. All of us have responsibilities. We all have troubles. We all have pressing concerns that must be dealt with day in and day out. This is the nature of life. And we can become so focused on the necessary things of this life that the Word of God is choked out. Becoming a Christian does not reduce the cares of this life. In fact, in some ways, it may increase our cares. But when we are in Christ, God will bear those cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Don't let the cares of this life choke the Word of God in your heart. The Word of God may be choked with riches. Without doubt, one of the greatest false gods worshipped in the world today is money. There's a tremendous focus on money in our culture, how to make it, how to keep it, how to grow it. And the worship of money is one of the most diverse religious communities that exists. The worship of money has even found a home in many so-called churches. And this brings shame and reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ. God is not interested in any sort of syncretistic worship. You cannot mix the worship of money with the worship of God. The love of money is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 No man can serve two masters, Jesus said. You cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew 6.24 But the situation does not need to be so extreme for riches to choke the word of God in your heart. You may be content with the money that you have. You might look at your possessions and think, I'm, I'm not rich, I'm comfortable. And yet, the material things of this world can still choke out the Word of God in your heart. It's possible to not be very rich and to have a problem in this area. It's also possible to be very wealthy and to not have a problem. We read about believers in the Old Testament who were very wealthy and yet walked with God faithfully. But riches are an area of great temptation and great danger, and we must be on guard lest riches choke out the Word of God in our hearts. Jesus warned about it here. The Word of God may be choked with pleasures. Have you ever considered that it was God who created us with the ability to have pleasure? In some ways, we were created for pleasure. And there is nothing innately wrong with pleasure, just as there is nothing innately wrong with riches. But when we overindulge in anything... Even a good thing that God has graciously given to us, it can become a hindrance in our walk with God. It can become a sin. Pleasure has a strong grip upon people in our culture. People call out for bread and circuses. We want to enjoy ourselves. We want pleasure. And we want as much as we can get. And we want it now. In Genesis 3, verse 19, God cursed man... Because of his sin. And included in that curse is the curse of toil. And in our relentless pursuit of pleasure, we try to escape this curse. But we will never find rest in pleasure. We rest in Jesus Christ. He is the cure for sin's curse. We use pleasure as a salve to ease the curse but it has no ability to solve the problem. And what's worse, pleasure can choke the Word of God in our hearts. 
And what is the result of the Word of God being choked in a heart? Well, at the end of verse 14, Jesus said that they bring no fruit to perfection. They did not bring forth fruit to perfection. It may have appeared for a time that they were going to bring forth fruit. It may have looked that they were going to yield a great harvest to the glory of God. But in the end, the stock was choked with thorns before the fruit came to perfection. Before it could be harvested, it was choked out. I think of Demas. In Colossians 4, verse 14, Demas is named alongside Luke as a traveling companion of Paul. In Philemon 1.24, Demas is referred to as a fellow laborer with Paul. There he is, serving alongside Paul in his labors as an apostle. But then in 2 Timothy 4.10, very late in Paul's life, he would write, Demas hath forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. He's left because he loved this present world. We can deceive those around us with an appearance of fruitfulness. We may even deceive ourselves. But we cannot deceive God. Eventually, what is truly in our hearts will be revealed. And as Jesus said in Matthew 7.20, By their fruits ye shall know them. Where the word of God is choked out by the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world, there will be no fruit brought to maturity. And finally, in verse 15, Jesus explained the good soil. Look at verse 15. And that on the good ground are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. This is a description of people who heard the word of God, kept it, and brought forth fruit with patience. And notice how this good ground is described by Jesus. First, they with an honest and good heart, having heard the word. No one receives the word of God. Because they are honest and good. The Bible is abundantly clear about the condition of man's heart in sin. None of us are by nature good and honest. Now we may appear good and honest by man's standards for a time. We may appear good and honest by comparison to others. But by God's measure, none are good. None are honest. Because God's measure of righteousness is Himself. And none of us measure up to God's righteousness. We all come short. But in salvation, God does a work in our hearts that is not just a work of restoration. It's not just a work of reform. It is a work of new creation. We are made new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. God gives us a righteousness that is not our own, but is in fact His righteousness. By faith, we have God's righteousness given to us through Jesus Christ. And God is pleased to bring faith through His Word. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you have received the Word of God, it's not because you are good. It's because God is gracious. And we rejoice in that, and we worship Him. Well, next we're told that they keep it. Those who have heard the Word of God with a good and honest heart, keep it. They hold on. They hold fast. Now compare this to the last two soils that were described by Jesus. 
They are not like the people compared to the rocky soil back in verse 13 who fall away in a time of temptation. They're not like those people described in verse 14 who are slowly choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Those people seem to have the Word of God, but they did not hold fast. In hard times, or in times of ease, in temptation, or in pleasure, they let go of the Word of God. Not so with the people described here in verse 15. In temptation, they do not fall away from the faith. They do not give way to the choking cares, riches, and pleasures of this life, but they hold fast to the Word of God. And finally, they are patient. They bring forth fruit with patience. Patience is both passive and active in the Christian's life. Passively, we are to patiently endure in trials and in suffering for the gospel. We're to patiently endure under the chastising hand of God. We're to patiently endure under unjust suffering. All these areas are specifically addressed in Scripture. And in all of them, the Christian is instructed to patiently endure. Actively, we are to be patiently persistent. Persistent in well-doing. Persistent in running the race that is set before us. In glorifying God no matter what situation we are facing in life. We're to be patiently persistent. And as it is with the farmer who sows seed and has to be patient and wait for that crop to grow before it can have a harvest, so it is in the Christian life. Fruit will come. The harvest will come. But you must be patient. As Christians, we must be patient. We must patiently endure. We must patiently persist. Now look back at verse 1 of our text. Remember the context for this passage. is that Jesus was preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And then in verses 5-8, through eight, Jesus taught this parable that the people did not understand. It was about the kingdom of God, but they did not understand it. And so in verse 9, the disciples asked Jesus, What might this parable be? And Jesus told them, To you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now what mystery is revealed here about the kingdom of God? Imagine the disciples crowding in close and they hear Jesus say that. A mystery. A secret. What could this be? What is Jesus going to reveal here? What is the mystery? What sort of esoteric secret was Jesus about to impart to His disciples? He told them, what fruitfulness looks like in the kingdom of God. How does God judge fruitfulness? What did Jesus say in this text? Hear the word of God, keep it, and bear fruit patiently. Keep it. Hold fast. Hold on. And be patient. Patiently endure suffering. Patiently persist in well-doing. Bring forth fruit with patience. As I was studying this passage, and this verse in particular, I was thinking about this congregation. I've been here about 13 years, which isn't very long compared to some. But it's been long enough to watch many of you 
face extremely difficult trials in your lives. Financial troubles, sickness, cancer, heartbreak, the death of loved ones. And where others have fallen away because of temptation or the cares of the world, I have watched so many of you do what verse 15 describes. Hold fast to the Word of God and patiently bring forth fruit. That's the grace of God. And that pleases God. That's what the Christian life should look like. It may not seem flashy or exciting. It may be hard. It is impossibly hard apart from the grace of God. It may seem boring and mundane, but this is the life that pleases God as described by Jesus Himself. In an honest and good heart, having heard the Word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. As you leave here today, and you go into the week ahead, dwell on the words of Jesus found there in verse 15. When you face trials, when you face temptation, when you're discouraged, when you're tired, remember what Jesus said. You have heard the Word of God. Keep it. Hold fast. Don't let it go. Don't turn anywhere else. Go to the Word of God. Hold on and bring forth fruit with patience. Let's pray. Lord, the temptation is great to look for something big, to look for something flashy and exciting, to look for your movement there. But we see, Lord, what you have been what you have ordained, and the path that you have ordained for us to walk is this path of patience and persistence in well-doing, of faithfulness with the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in the everyday issues of life that come up. Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness that I have seen illustrated in the lives of so many here in this church body. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue on. Lord, may we persist in well-doing, Having heard the word of God, may we keep it and bear fruit patiently. For your honor and for your glory, we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.